0: The Persistent and Nasty podcast has teamed up with Edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription. Head over to Weedition and type in Nasty, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. I have said it before, I will say it again. Edition really are the future of casting and also you can make money while being a member on the site. You can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents, you can just generally help each other out and it's a really important thing for us to do especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community our other offer for our listeners is still with backstage backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription you heard that right 12 months free if you follow the link in the description box for casting directors you can post free castings when you type in persistent and nasty at checkout Hello you gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Elaine here, how are you all doing? I really hope that you are all starting to enjoy a little bit more familiarity, let's go for I hope that you've had the opportunity, opportunity who do I think I am? (laughs) The opportunity, (laughs) the opportunity to meet a friend or family in a beer garden or go out to a restaurant um, or just go to the cafe and sit inside um, or see a little bit more of your friends in your back gardens. I hope that you are all looking after yourselves. still though. Keep washing those hands, wearing your masks and being kind to yourself and each other. Another tricky week this week, as I'm sure most of you will know in our industry. And for all of you, we just want to let you know, as always, we stand with all survivors. And uh, we have put in a lot of links in the description of this episode um, for those of you who may have been affected and need uh, some guidance. And remember, we are always here for you. Please feel free to reach out to us. Today's episode is with the incredible Scottish playwright Zinni Harris. Uh, Zinni, myself and Misha have a really great and varied chat. We discuss Zinni's first short film, A Glimpse. We also talk about what inspired this film and um, just a small trigger warning for people that we do discuss pregnancy loss and... um, infertility as mentioned and um, so it's just to let everyone know and obviously with this being Zinny's story it's very much from a heteronormative point um but that we would just like to reiterate that always we know that this affects everyone no matter where you sit on the gender spectrum so again please um if this is something that could be upsetting for you, we start discussing this round about the kind of 15th minute mark. So if you feel the need to just skip on ahead, we also discuss Sidney's other work. We discuss a oh we discuss the the old trope of the tortured artist and how that really needs to go. As always, you can follow us on all social media, Twitter at PersistentNasty, Instagram at Persistent and nasty, Facebook, Persistent and nasty. Send us a wee email to nasty at gmail.com. And for those of you wishing to support us, always so much thanks to those of you who already have. The link to our PayPal is in the description box. As you know, we are unfunded and the work we've been doing... Recently, um, is oft is really yeah. I think all I can say is oft. Um, so thank you. It really does make um a difference, and it helps keep us going. So you are all wonderful. For today's episode, I suggest I don't know why because I don't drink white wine, but I would suggest a wee glass of white wine or maybe a spritzer, um, maybe a beer, fruit beer. Uh, Oh, or you could have a really lovely, um, oh, a wee pint of orange and lemonade. Or oranges and soda if you're trying to watch your um, sugar intake. As always, we know water is the best for us on the inside as well as on the outside. And as always, just a good old cup of tea will do. Sit back, relax and enjoy. And
1: the wee one of the wee guys was like had a basket of 10p items and so I ended up buying this 10p soup and a 10p like thing of lettuce and it's like a honey roasted parsnip and carrot so it's delicious but yeah in my rush to eat my soup to get to this podcast I burned my entire esophagus
2: (laughs) and you had something cold to drink
1: Yeah, I I felt like one of those cartoons. (laughs) You know, when they like swallow something, they're like, (gasps) and then like fire comes out of their mouth, and then they just glug water down. It was exactly what I did. (laughs) And that's how we're doing this Tuesday. Zenny, it is so lovely to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Thank Um, you for having me. I feel like everybody in Scotland probably knows who you are, but I feel like it would be. Just, just a little bit of fun for you to give us a potted history of what you've been doing, um, how you got to where you are. Just a little blimey. Okay. Well, um, I've been a playwright primarily for
2: for uh, twenty years, and started so my first play that that um, I'm known for is called Further the Furthest Thing, and it was at the Travis um, in two thousand. And then I have worked for a number of years, writing commissions for plays, started writing for TV as well. So I wrote for Spooks for a number of years um, and uh, I made two 90 minute sort of half drama, half factual things for Channel 4. Um, And then I started directing for theatre. So I I then was writing and directing and directing other people's work. Um, And then just very recently wrote and directed a short film. Uh, which happily we're here to talk about, I expect. But um, yeah, so I've been a bit of jack-of-all-trades, um, mainly writing. I mean, really, I'm interested in stories, working with actors, um, finding the right form for the right story. Um, yeah.
1: How did you find it transitioning from, like... Because obviously, if you've been writing for, for like, film and TV before, like, how did you find it transitioning as a director, like, coming from theatre into film and TV?
2: Um, well... I mean, I think really the first, maybe the first step was transitioning as a writer. So kind of, you know, when you're when you're working as a writer, you on the stage, you're kind of almost having to write from the position of the back of the stalls and see all your kind of orchestration of your story. There's a kind of public element that you want the main events to happen in the space between people Whereas when you start writing for screen, you want the main events to happen in the kind of internal world. So you're kind of right here with the camera. So I think the process actually started as a writer, but kind of almost like where I was putting the mind's eye. Um, And then, I mean, I think there's so many things about, that are different working as a director. obviously the you know what the product is at the end is is very different but actually even the process um that you know in 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 a theater project i'm used to kind of making a lot of the decisions in the rehearsal room over a long period of time with the actors um you know i sort of go into the rehearsal room with really a very very rough kind of idea of shape although of course you would have worked with a designer so some decisions are already made and what I found really interesting and different about film was how much was decided sort of pre-production that, that you know, a lot of the kind of hard lifting of the thinking had had already been done and really the, the um, filming was kind of like tech and performance all rolled into one where we really just had to sort of capitalise it. And of course the actors are joining they, their process has got to be really fast. And, you know, and also every single decision in the shoot, you've got, you're making with kind of 20 people behind you, kind of there's this sort of quite public element of it to to for the director actually, whereas in a rehearsal room, you've kind of, you've got a bit more time to sort of chew it over. Or if you're in the tech, you can kind of stand in the dark and ponder and you might have a couple of previews even to kind of keep evolving, whereas you've got to be on it. But I did find talk about kind of the adrenaline buzz and the exhilaration of kind of setting up a shot and and getting it. I mean, I just found what a high that week was. And, you know, I think because we were working with young children in that project as well, there were quite a few things that could really go wrong, quite apart from all the normal things that could go wrong. So there was, you know, there was one shot in particular that we just absolutely knew we had to get or the film wasn't going to make sense. And it was on the last day with the kids and, you know if they didn't want to play ball they were they were 3 and 5 they they might not have wanted to play ball and and then we wouldn't have had a movie and i know all sort of week i was kind of waiting for this moment and then of course we got it and it was just like ah thank goodness, you yeah, know, fantastic. And
1: it seems cruel to have that kind of shot, the very last one <laughs> to get with them as well, isn't it? It's <laughs> yes. the one to get it out of the way and know that it's done. Yes. I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And how can I keep them sweet? And what would be the
2: strategy? Is there any other way we could tell this story without that shot, which there really wasn't? And kind of, you know, trying also because, you know, what a lot of it was with working with children is, is you're kind of cajoling them and keeping their energy right and, you know, the energy high and that it's fun and whatever whilst completely masking the internal terror.
1: (laughs) They always say, don't work with children and animals, and you started your first short film with children. (laughs) Baptism by fires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I feel like we should say that a glimpse, this short film that you've made, will be getting its world premiere Mm -hmm. in... From the 17th to the 23rd of May at the Mm -hmm. Scottish Mental Health Arts Festival. The programme, I think, runs from the 3rd to the 23rd. Looks amazing. I was having a snoop through it and it Mm -hmm. is an absolutely incredible programme. So to have a glimpse part of it is so exciting.
2: It feels like it's a fitting place for a glimpse as well, which is very much about, you know, a woman that by some weird magical real list kind of event um gets a sort of happens upon herself five years previously and uh when she was really struggling and she needs to try and find a way to communicate to her to kind of you know give her that encouragement that things actually will turn out all right so it kind of it, it's lovely that it's in the, the the mental health festival i think because um I think that kind of message of what do we do to keep ourselves going if only we could have a conversation with someone from our past you know or even there are times where you know we're all really struggling and you sort of hope that there's a future ghost kind of looking back or on the other side of the bridge kind of saying you know I'm here it it, it doesn't last forever and I think you know particularly through this pandemic that that's sort of what we hope for isn't there that there's going to be life beyond and and it's going to get better and those kind of future ghosts are kind of waving a banner saying you know keep going one foot in front of another so so yeah. Yeah.
0: You you um you all filmed this just before, didn't you? Lockdown yes. kind of has so you got I mean, in just in time.
2: Yeah. God well yeah firstly the filming yeah there was kind of like there was a bit of a joke someone had come back our first AD had come back from a skiing holiday and had a bit of you know sort of a cold I think he was actually fine but you know it was it was the world we were in February there was no such thing as a lockdown and it was this kind of low rumble is it going to be a thing nobody having any idea and then we were doing our post-production at Arteus and And watching the news every day as we were all kind of in these kind of, you know, tiny little (laughs) kind of enclosed, very sort of, um, I I don't know what, sealed units looking at the film. And then kind of every day through the edit, it was just like, oh, no, this is this is a thing. This is going to sort of. And we didn't actually manage to finish the edit process. um, So we had to finish the last bit of editing remotely, which was actually really quite hard work because everything that you know sitting in an edit of course an edit was a completely new experience for me but you know you just go back 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 all those decisions and choices you can see it four different ways in 20 minutes and then all of a sudden every time you want to try something new it's a wee transfer or it's a, a way of getting the files across and having to sit and and so it suddenly took eight times as long and and just the very final bits then were, were weeks and weeks whereas we would probably been only two or three days off finishing. Um, so that was frustrating. But, yeah, what a time to do it. And, I mean, I just feel so incredibly lucky that we slipped in under the wire with the shoot, you know, that this easily could have been a film that just didn't get made. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. and just the thought of that is kind of, you know, when you've been working on something and getting it all together, just, and I'm sure there have been some filmmakers who things are still yeah. on pause and yeah. um, productions, yeah. certainly within the theatre as well, Yeah, yeah, um, that are just all... Well,
2: like, I would say you know I got away with it with Glimpse but there's there's lots of projects in the theatre that I haven't got away with and and you know I've been working on this um, musical 101 Dalmatians and that was cancelled so we were we were due to go into rehearsal on 31st of March tw- obviously 24th of March 23rd of March it was cancelled and then it was moved back to this year and it's and it's but had to be moved again so you know and we're still sort of waiting for that to be announced so yeah I mean I think that the, the theatre we're only just now starting we're behind the the, the film industry in, in terms of being able to kind of get back on our feet and we're starting now to think about the autumn um whereas a lot of shoots have been happening haven't they and tv and yeah. film yeah
1: it's quite, I find it really interesting I and mean, obviously it's fantastic that the film industry has managed to kind of like work around and, and put so many like COVID procedures in place. But it is also like, I feel like me and you are similar as any in the sense that we straddle theatre and film yeah. And so to be watching the theatre industry literally not be able to even move and end, it's so frustrating because you think there are so many brilliant creative people that could create work within parameters like pandemic parameters that would that would still be safe and there are so many ways that you can do that but there has been absolutely no leeway with it well we
2: we did a project i did a project actually at the lyceum um just before christmas before you know we were starting and and that was really lovely i mean my all my film experience from this project really came into the fore because it was a kind of hybrid theatre and film project and we'd kind of conceived it that we might be able to have a flexible audience course. when that wasn't able to happen then then it was all filmed so it's not that we've been doing nothing it's just that it doesn't look like theatre in the old way um certainly you know in the autumn we were of course it's all kind of gone a bit quieter now but but yeah I mean yeah and and also there's a big for me there's a big sort of piece of the place that you go to explore ideas and how we recover and all that kind of stuff you know we're not getting those new voices and new plays that I hope we will be but but also I mean you know we talk I've got I'm an associate director at the Lyceum and we talk a lot about you know what we're going to be programming to come out of it and and what the new plays will be and the new pieces of work and I think it's quite hard to know you know I think as a writer you're always trying to write into the time that the piece will be shown and so you're sort of start you have to kind of slightly preempt what the mood's going to be and what the pre are going to be and you know try and use it as a sort of reflection in a way and it's just really hard to know we know that there are really big conversations that we need to have about kind of equality and race and you know how we put ourselves back together but what form they're going to take and what the appetite is are people going to want to be in a mood to laugh or are they going to be in mood, you know so i think it's going to be interesting to see how the theater recovers
0: <laughs> it definitely is and I think as well even just um just a couple of things I've started noticing even like the Donmar are um, being yeah. a bit more open with um some of their advertisement for um a uh, tech and yeah. um not not being such a closed quote-unquote shop and it'll be yeah. really interesting because obviously the industry's been called out a lot on yeah. that yeah. throughout the pandemic yeah. um, and it'll be really interesting to see how that um takes shape in theatre yes. and particularly theatre in Scotland because yeah. um with all the best intentions in the world, I think everybody can see it is a bit of, you know, there's always it's the same same kind of people that we see yeah. you on a regular basis. And so there's a really and obviously there's been a couple of things recently that were where there's been shifts. Yeah. So it'll be really interesting I'm kind of excited.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the time, and and also I think what's been good is there's been time to do a bit of reflection. So I think a lot of theatres have been using this time to think. Okay, how do we engage freelancers? How do we work? You know, how what what does our programming look like? What does it mean? What what is it? diversity and equality actually mean you know and how do we kind of look at what we're doing in the creative learning department all the way up to our stage and whatever and um, I, I shouldn't think that all the answers will arrive in one go and I think you know that there's there'll be a journey but I think really important conversations are being had which is which is a start
1: <laughs> but that's what theatre is so good at isn't it like the creative learning departments and theatres like those are they're the ones that just are so good at like reaching out and knowing their communities that they're in yeah that's their absolute strength that's why theatre is such a like people place so it yeah I'm really hopeful as well I'm I'm excited for it and I'm excited to see what comes from it because it can only be can only be
0: better. Better, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We need to take all the positives we can get from this pandemic. I'm like grabbing at them. Anything I see, I'm like, give me, a, give me the positives. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about Glints. Obviously, without you uh, giving me any spoilers or anything, because okay. we wanted to see it. Um, <laughs> um, so the story is based around uh, a mother. Yeah. Mother. And, yeah. Yeah,
2: Mother with um, two small kids um, in a, in a, uh, with a partner and they're kind of living their life and she uh, takes a, a bag up to the attic and when she's um, in the attic she finds a hatch and uh, she's curious about it because actually there's something a bit odd about the attic and there's something a bit odd about the hatch. And she looks through it and she sees herself um, in a in a time when she was longing for children, wasn't able to have them. And and um, she comes back to her life and she's sort of so fulfilled as a mum and, and the kids are all over or whatever. And she kind of knows the misery she'd been in. Um, and she just wishes she could be that, you know, as I was saying a minute ago, that kind of future ghost kind of waving the banner and and there's kind of um, no way to communicate. So this is quite, comes from sort of quite a personal place in a way I was, I had a sort of experience when I was in my uh, so late twenties, I was um, doing a project at the RSC and I was um, staying in a bed and breakfast. They put me up in a bed and breakfast and I happened to be um, 13 weeks pregnant. And, and I was, you know, happy about the pregnancy for my first pregnancy, everything was fine. And during the week that I was there, I unfortunately had a miscarriage and or started a miscarriage and had to go back to the, so I rang, you know, saw the G, saw a local GP, had to go back to the bed and breakfast room. And I rang my husband and said, you know, I've started bleeding. Can you come down and get me from Edinburgh? So he got in the car and drove. But I had this really sort of sad day waiting for him. It was kind of an eight hour drive <laughs> till he arrived. And actually we then stayed that night and I was kind of absolutely miserable. I had had no expectation that anything was wrong with the pregnancy. And, and I was just very, very on my own. Uh, and then he picked me up and and we came back and kind of life went on. And actually, as it turned out, I had um, a number of miscarriages. I went on to have four miscarriages and um, sort of roll forward, uh, 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 probably about three, well, it must have been I don't know four or five you know I uh, can't remember I can't think what would that be maybe four years um three or four years when I'd by then I'd had um my eldest um Malachi and he was about two and I had another baby Jasper and we were back at the RSC. I was working on the play that I'd started writing all that time ago and the and I was directing the show for the RSC. So, I mean, it was God, a hell of a thing. I had a nine week old baby, first day of rehearsals and a, and a toddler, but anyway, there we go. Uh, but they put us up in the house opposite the b and And I just remember standing at the window almost every morning with this kind of toddler on my hip and this new baby and just wishing I could wave over the street to the woman that that was so miserable, lying on that bed, kind of feeling like the world had ended. Just to say, you know, we're here and look, look what you get. Um, And 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 so I wrote a letter uh, about, you know, how, you know, the Guardian used to do that thing about a letter to someone. And I wrote a letter to myself sort of five years ago and I just kept it as a letter and then a friend of mine (coughs) said you know it would make such a good short film have you thought about writing it as a short film and then I happened to meet John Mackay producer at a theatre event and he said you know let's have a cup of coffee and and I said well I've sort of got this idea and 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 you know then SFTN had the scheme so it, it then sort of seemed quite easy because I think I'd sat with the idea for quite a long time. And I think my friend who said it was it was a good idea was was really right, because it seems to me that when short films work at their best, they're almost like exploring a single moment or a single idea, not being too ambitious, but almost like a poem or something, giving you a kind of literally a glimpse of a, a moment in your life. So. Um, so, yeah, so that's how it came about.
1: Oh, it gives me goosebumps i don't think i'd heard the foot like i I kind of knew working on it that it came from personal experience but hearing you talk about it, any that's uh, really moving so thank you for sharing that i know that's quite intense for a podcast
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) um i mean it's it's i think the the thing is that so many people will be listening to this and will have been affected myself included Yes, yeah. similar situation had a miscarriage and then started a job like a week yeah. and a half later. Yeah. Um so, yeah. you know, it's and it's something that um our industry does really well it's shown that and the um the process of it all but not um that the kind of internal internal dialogue that goes on as a female. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, there's so many
2: things around miscarriage because it's so intensely private, you, you know, particularly in early miscarriage, you're not you're not visible. A lot of people don't know you were pregnant anyway. Uh, and also, I think, I don't know about your experience, but one of the other things I wanted to sort of touch on in the film is that actually men and women have a different experience of this. And you kind of, you know, you go into the pregnancy, obviously having a baby is very much about kind of the couple in a way and and, you know, what they... Go on to, and talking very sort of heterosexual terms, but that this is sort of my experience, and um, and but what happens for the woman as soon as she gets pregnant is quite different to what happens to the man. And I think you you start the process of being a mum the minute you see the the positive pregnancy test. Whereas certainly in my experience, I mean, he's now my ex husband actually. As it happens, but but he when we when we sort of unpicked it right at the end of our, it all when we kind of finally kind of we ended up with a baby and we were able to kind of sit and pick through the shit that was the time of the miscarriages. His, he sort of said that, that his experience was kind of like, it was a good thing that was coming, but he hadn't really started being a parent yet. So we had this completely different, you know, my grief was really profound because I felt that, that, you know, I'd lost a child, whereas he'd lost, he'd lost the hope of something that was going to be great in the future. And, and I think it was the first time in our married lives that we were kind of on opposite sides of a river going, we're just not feeling this the same way. And there was a kind of sense of kind of, that he just wanted to cheer me up and wanted me to kind of get on and move on and even really wasn't that bothered whether we continued to have children whereas I kind of felt really kind of you know that we'd got on the train with this having a baby thing and I wasn't going to get off the train until until we'd arrived somewhere and you know and and maybe that was a bit sort of obsessional of me but I I think that kind of you know that internal love affair with the child or a child had had
0: started um so yeah the train thing is a great analogy I mean and it really is um, yeah and I'm sure there are many people uh, who can relate to that. I mean, I know that I certainly can. It's been a long time for us trying yeah. for a baby 10 years. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Still no baby. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's, but, but, you know, as you talk about the hope and I think there's something, and I certainly know, and I know other women who have gone through infertility and, or had tro- problems conceiving and, the hope is the thing that always is there and that idea that somebody comes to you is a really beautiful way of looking yeah. at it like yeah. even if it's not yourself or there's just yeah. that thing of somebody come and even if it's not the picture that you think you're going to get at the end of it that's but right. just to tell you that you're going to make it yes that's right you're right that's right absolutely something so um it's so important and it's so touching and it's so wonderful that this film is going to be at the Mental Health Festival because yeah. it's part of, it's got such a knock-on effect in so many other parts of your life. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And I think that the way, I mean, you know, I I, I was lucky and I appreciate that, that I did go on and it it, it kind of did solve in the way that, that I wanted it to. But as you say, there are so many parts of your life where actually the solution is the unexpected thing. And you don't know what the the kind of consolation for the desolation is, you know? And But I think the way that we can kind of look at it is, I do know there were other periods in my life that were bleak. And I do know that they solved themselves again, not in a, you know, that if, if you could go and visit yourself as a 15 year old, you know, what would you say? You'd, you'd kind of put your arm around you, yourself and kind of go, do you know this shit? It just doesn't feel like this forever. I promise you, you know? Yeah. And and there is something about the kind of sense that there is the older, more older sisterly kind of version of you that goes, yeah, this all feels like it's really big and unsurvivable now, but I promise you, with the perspective of a couple of years, it just, it it, it turns
0: into a different thing or you get through it somehow or you're all right. I think that's a beautiful way. I'm just thinking about it. Like, your film should be, like, the big sister that you need. Yeah. Like, yeah. that moment, that kind of sisterhood. And I mean that not just, like... um. If you identify as female, it just mean that sense yeah. of like yeah. a community yeah. that yeah. has got your support and yeah. is there for you. And I think that's yeah, yeah. it's really exciting that it's being um, shown and it's being discussed because it will make people have conversations. And you know, somebody might see the film who's had a miscarriage or multiple yeah. miscarriages and maybe hasn't spoken to that many people about it, and then yeah. feel that they can. Yeah, and there is something like you say this kind of secrecy about it. Um we talked with uh, Kirsten Innes about this as well because um, oh, yeah. uh, she's had a IVF and miscarriages and we talked about that in the podcast with her and we just kind of said this thing that society's kind of almost made women feel the shame about it. Yeah, yeah. And we need to demystify that. So things yeah. like a glimpse
2: yeah.
0: are, are a step in the right direction.
2: Yeah. And I think also the way that we see kind of pregnancy and loss in or a lot of the films or the sort of media is a a, a kind of often a slightly male view or it's a bit romanticized or it's a bit you know and and there's kind of yucky bits that we don't see and you know and it's just kind of like so it's turned into a slightly mystified thing that we push to one side as that's slightly uh women's-y and and therefore not relevant or what you know and I suppose I wanted to bust that a bit with with the film as well, and kind of go. Actually, this is really central for to a lot of people's experience, and and it's time that we we looked at it, we talked about it. I mean, certainly that was my experience at the, at the time. Is you know, a lot of people really didn't want to go there with me, um, and uh, you know, I think with any like with any sort of period of kind of tr- that's traumatic in your life, it, it it divides people, doesn't it? You know, the, there's the people that are, are on the journey with you, and then there's the sort of people that that, that sort of back away um yeah
1: I think what I really liked about it is and it's going back a bit but it is the like the balance portrayal of that relationship we've so got it's Kirsty Stewart and Jordan Young starring in it together mm-hmm. as, as this couple and I just feel like they're like it could have been so easy to have um made Jordan the bad guy yeah and made his character seem yeah like uncaring and un like just yeah. like there are I just feel like there are ways like I've seen this kind of thing before where like the man can be demon- demonized yeah and what I loved about a glimpse was you could totally see that both of them were in you could totally see that they were each on a different side of the river yeah and I think yeah. that that's really clear in it and I think that's yeah. such a lovely thing as well for even men to be able to watch yeah and, and something that they may otherwise have absolutely no clue about and not be able to understand personally that emotional journey but to be able to see Jordan's character dealing with it in in such a sensitive way like although confused and although angry and although upset like in different ways throughout Yeah. yeah you can still see that they're both really just trying to muddle through
2: yes yes I think that's right and there's a there's a bit in the sort of present story where he says you've gone somewhere, Kate, and I don't know how to reach you. And and almost that line kind of tells you that actually normally they're connected, you know, that he's noticing that she's she's gone. Um, that's, but that's again, my
1: favorite. That's, my yeah, favorite. that's your favourite line. <laughs> there you go. It's but, like, yeah, I feel bad that my favourite line is like, <laughs> the guy in it. <laughs> but I just love the emotional intimacy of that. I think that truth of like their connection is so clear in that line that, oh, yeah. just bumps, love it
2: yeah but I think also that is you know as you say something that I wanted to dramatize is I think men feel spare men don't know how to support it is very much um you know because it's so physical having a a, either a pregnancy or or pregnancy loss you know they are one step removed they can see partner in pain or grief or whatever but but it's hard for them to access and 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 articulate or ask what that you know and and sometimes men are Find it not all men but a lot of men find it difficult to kind of go there emotionally and 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 that's a strain too so you know I, and i think it's why i'm interested in in kind of using the, the the sort of uh kind of domestic as a way to sort of explore how we communicate what what our kind of ability to be alongside each other is um and yeah it's quite interesting kind of fulcrum to kind of explore those relationships i suppose
0: yeah and it's also the thing that we can do so well in the arts isn't it is that yeah we can do that's the thing that we can actually do is give someone let someone see themselves on screen or on stage and yeah. know that they're not alone yeah and uh, yeah. that's really important and even if you're the guy you've you've been in that situation you didn't know how to vocalize it you might yeah. then see a glimpse or that yeah. kind of then say to your partner I, I didn't yeah. get it and yeah. I can't ever maybe totally get it, but I'm still yeah. here in this yeah. boat with you.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 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 Um, uh, just moving away from a glimpse mm. for a little mm-hmm. bit, um, what was the first theatre production you directed, Zinni? Mm.
2: Well, I mean, I was directing all the way through student years. I even directed something when I was sick form at school. Um, uh, so you've so, always been
0: a director.
2: Yeah. And then, and then I did my degree and then I did... Um, Uh, Postgrad in theatre direction at Hull University so it was sort of odd that I started writing because I kind of my parents live in Edinburgh so I came back from uni and sort of lodged with them uh, and sort of arrived at the Traverse and kind of knocked on their door and like you know I've been trained as a theatre director and then realised the bloody hard slog that was going to start to ever get anywhere and so I kind of thought oh you know this is gonna be a bit hard and I sort of realized that what you needed was a really good script. And so I thought, oh, well, maybe I could, maybe I could write a script. So I got a book out the library called how to write a play and I wrote a play (laughs) and (laughs) I sent it to the Trav, and they gave it a reading. And then I directed that, uh, for, um, uh, what used to be this festival called Febfest and it went then to the fringe and they commissioned me to write a short play, um, uh, the short play turned into a long play. And Jack Bradley, who ran the National Theatre Studio, who's dramaturg at the uh, literary manager at the National Theatre and ran the studio, came and saw the play in the fringe, and he read um the sort of longer version of the short play, and he commissioned me, um, aged. 25 I got commissioned from National Theatre Studio so I sort of and he rang me I remember the phone call he said I'm going to commission you and you're going to need an agent and you're going to need a good one and I've lined up to speak to you know and and it was kind of but it was a bit overwhelming actually because I'd only really written a play in a bit (laughs) and I wasn't totally ready for it um he really took a punt and I kind of slightly then went bonkers I mean oddly I do a whole thing I'm the standard work I do on creative well-being and I really talk about the Um, beginning of my career is this incredible sort of up and down because I hadn't really worked out how to work with my piece of machinery that was my creativity and I suddenly had this really high profile commission and I just didn't have the experience of managing myself or have you know so I didn't really succeed with that commission at all I went slightly quietly crazy wrote three plays rather than one because I couldn't quite work out which you know and it kind of went nowhere and i gave up writing all disaster you know all that great hope had turned into nothing and it was only really then when I sort of felt that I'd blown it and I'd given up writing was back working as a waitress that I thought that suddenly I I wrote again and then I wrote further and the furthest thing and Jack Bradley at the National came back into it they went into co-production with the Tron so it was all still there to happen but there was this kind of sense of it was easy to write a play or it was really hard to write a play and there was kind of nothing in between and and I had to kind of learn how to sort of dismantle the inner critic and you know I needed a bit more craft actually in terms of sort of understanding structure and I needed there were all kinds of things that I needed to put into place quite consciously in order to have a reliable creativity that would actually you get a commission and you know, you know what you're doing but um so it was young to get a commission and it was a slightly fraught route but but luckily I persevered
0: I think that's really important for people to hear that though like that kind of you know because pr- there's that thing of oh that's the dream National Theatre 25. I, I know. Yeah but actually the reality of how yeah, that yeah then impacts you as a yeah. human. Um, so well
2: I, I, I sort of quite often do this talk you know I'm often asked to talk about your career or whatever and 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 I've started to starting off a different way which is because you know so many people come in these kind of it, do a keynote speech on your career and and just tell the success story, and I've done this, and I've won this award, and I've won that award. And so I sort of do that, and then I say, right, and here's the here's the shadow CV. This production, my very first production, professional production, closed after two previews at the Chelsea Centre, because the, the actors were so pissed off with the director, luckily not me, that they walked off the set. This was the show that, you know, I couldn't even get to the second act, because I didn't know what it was about. This is the, you know, and actually, even... somebody's career that looks like it's been kind of plain sailing you just don't know what what it's really taken and actually the lived experience of a career in the arts is is well certainly my experience has not been from success to success those successes have been there but they've also been kind of accompanied by by um quite sort of well actually I mean to go back to the story of the the miscarriage that project I was working on at the RSC the week that I was Pregnant and all happy, I'd written the first scene. Um, they'd sent, they'd set us off on this task: go out to to Stratford and uh, observe people, come back and write a scene. And I'd seen this grandfather and grandson playing really beautifully outside the RST, and I came back to the Bed and Breakfast and I wrote this first scene. And I think of all my work, this first scene is one of the best scenes I've ever written. It just, you know, kind of came out as a dollop. There it was. Then, I, of course, I had the miscarriage, went home. All the, all the palaver, um, but the RSC loved the first scene. So they commissioned me to write that play and um, I became their writer in residence. So in a way I was kind of on this career high whilst internally kind of falling apart. And I had to write the rest of that play And I just went on for years and years, and I couldn't somehow get it back into the slipstream of where I'd been when I'd been 13 weeks pregnant, pre-miscarriage, writing that scene about the grandfather and and grandson. And it went on two or three years, so long that the the literary manager changed at the RSC. And, you know, it was kind of slightly awkward. I had to keep dodging the old one when they were at events because I just felt so awful. I'd tried to write, it wasn't that I wasn't trying. I was trying to write this play, but it was just terrible. And oh God, went on and on. Eventually, I had Malachi. And I remember I had Malachi sort of sitting on my knee, and the new literary manager rang. Malachi was eight months, new literary manager rang and said, You know, we still love that first scene, but we feel you're under pressure. So we're just going to say, Take the pressure off you. You can write us a play anytime in the next five years, and we'll be happy. And I heard myself say, Just give me another fortnight. And he said, OK, we'll give you another fortnight. And I put the phone down. I thought, what the hell was that? And then I took Malachi. He was at a childminder's. I took him. That was Monday morning. And the play tumbled out by Tuesday lunchtime. That was it. And it was midwinter, you know. And there it was ready to be written. Of course, when I now look at midwinter, it is this play about the child's position in the hearth. It was all about that little boy with the grandson. and, And it was almost like my creativity couldn't go there because it was kind of too painful while I was in that that painful place. But with Malachi on my knee at some sense of resolution and the, the play kind of you know appeared. So I'm a sort of great believer in actually, you know, that it's happening within the 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 but what you have to learn to do as a creative artist is is Find a way to kind of tune in to to what's going on, and and kind of give your spell. Your, you know, we we write from the emotional center. That's that's the place we do it. And if it's difficult, if the if you there's trouble in the emotional center, then it's hard to write. So you need to kind of find ways ways around that.
1: It's almost like you need to let it go. To let it
2: come back well maybe i mean and i think you know for a lot of people the the big thing is the the kind of inner critic that says you're going to fail you know why try all that kind of stuff and one of the things i i work with you know i do a bit of mentoring with people with their creativity and i work with my students but one of the things is sort of identifying where the voice that's saying you can't is coming from and you know is that does that have some vestige in a teacher when you're at primary school or is that whose whose voice are you hearing there and some people say the best way around that is to kind of um uh, turn down the dial so that you're not hearing it as loudly and and that is that can be very effective what I've always found is sort of almost the opposite way which is to replace it so for every time you hear a voice that says you can't you actually think about the people in your life that are telling you that you can and you you have more of them in your life and you know I think we can as artists we can be a great community to each other we can you can have those people in your life that say of course you can do it and are waving the banner for you and I mean it's sort of like the 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 older you isn't it kind of coming back and so who is it that's that's sort of good soil for you and and find a, a way to be in the in the kind of good soil but yeah that's a sort of snapshot of my mentoring work
0: <laughs> I think thank you for that Zaini because I actually think it's so important that people hear that because there's this myth isn't there like you know the tortured artist and yeah you've got to be so tortured to be able to yeah. create your best work and yeah. well you've just shown that yeah when you were content with yes, on your lap, that's right that just, it all just poured out of you that's right and I that's think right. yeah I just want to say thanks for that because I think that's something that I think this it's kind of bred within the industry, isn't it? And not just within the industry; it's everywhere. It's like, oh, you need to be the tortured artist to make amazing work. When actually,
2: no, no,
0: no. or even you have to be the asshole.
2: Oh. I mean, that's another thing that we could debunk. You know, yes, I, I yes. think <laughs> just sort of, you know, particularly with directors, that somehow you have to bully a bully a cast to get a good performance, and it's actually it's really pernicious and, and not true. And I think that that as you know, in it, it, particularly directors or people that run buildings or whatever, as in people in positions that are making choices about how to give people work, how to work with people, the kind of environment that you have on your shoot or whatever, we really, really need to start to to think about that. There is no reason not to be a really reasonable human being. And, you know, because one of the things I think that people forget is that everybody else is also creative. So just as you have to work with your creativity, you have to work with everybody else's creativity. And the, what's the best way of running that room you know is that how are you going to kind of uh, allow people to be playful to feel encouraged to to whatever and i'm not saying that we don't want to be rigorous and we don't want to be on it we, we absolutely need to have that kind of rigor and forensic look at what we're doing but but it needs to be done in an atmosphere that is is kind of going to encourage playfulness and and experimentation
1: Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a creative collaboration it's always like everyone's in that room has yeah. jobs everyone has their role it's like it is like the bolts in a machine like every part is an yeah. essential cog in that creative yeah. process yeah. and like just because the director's job is to steer it one way and like create a kind of like space that yeah maybe like makes decisions it is all ultimately like holding that holding that space for creativity and allowing
0: it yeah yeah absolutely I also think you can always see it like as an audience member you can tell when a cast has had a brilliant rehearsal period yeah yeah and they all genuinely um along with the creative team are all working together I always think you can tell and I actually think you can tell on film as well yeah
2: well why wouldn't you want that I mean I always sort of think particularly you know rehearsing for stage you know, we're in a room together. Certainly I used, I cast, I've changed my kind of casting way working with theatre. I used to, you know, just think it was about getting the right person for the role. Whereas actually now it's, I so much more consciously build the team and think how are these, this group of people going to interact with each other? Is that going to be something that, but also, you know, you as a director, if somebody has a gold nugget of an idea, you really want to make sure that they're going to say it. You don't want them sitting on their hands, going, "Oh, I think I've seen the missing link here," but, but, but you know, I daren't put my hand up. You know, golly, and you know, of course, you need to stay kind of with the reins in your hand, and you are shaping it. But you, you, you need that kind of feeling of democracy that you're you're all making it together. And
0: um, yeah, so it's how you make. It great theater great well great anything really yeah 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 like in a kitchen it's how you make
2: good food for yes. working together. Yeah. I mean, it was one of the things I found kind of a bit curious, I suppose, about about the, the the difference in film was that there was such a limited time with the actors. And, you know, I know that deliberately we put in a rehearsal day with the two of them because, you know, Kirsty Stewart I've worked a lot with before. I'd worked a wee bit with Jordan, but but didn't know him as well. And there's a there was a tricky technical moment that we needed to kind of get right that there was a bit you know, that we wanted to show a bit of the story, but we didn't want to show too much. And and it was all set in a bathroom and which, where was I going to put the camera? And, you know, we were in quite a small bathroom and, where you know, just sort of, and I kind of felt like I knew that if Kirsty and I had a couple of hours together, we would solve it as a, as a sort of duo. And we, we, you know, because uh, John is such a brilliant producer and the, the kind of team, you know, including Misha kind of made that work for me. Um, but I, I, I sort of needed that. I needed the actor's performance there to kind of come along with me, and kind of, and you know, of course, Kirsty's so superb physically as well as emotionally that she kind of goes, "Oh well, I could do this," or you know, actually, I could sit on the edge of that. It would, and it suddenly felt like no problem. Um, so I don't know. I suppose that might be if I have any influence at all on the way that i would run a second shoot or do something i would think i would always be pushing for for a bit more rehearsal time just because that's that's i think the way that i would get the best performance and 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 you know best piece of film
0: i think the actors love that too when they get extra rehearsals they do yeah yeah just it helps with all of it yeah yeah it does
2: and particularly as you're not shooting in order you know so they've they've got a kind of really sort of head fuck process going on in their head of this is like this is two days after that and that's three days before that and whoa, you know I mean to to, to kind of go through it a couple of times in order so that we understand the shape um, yeah, yeah. it is
1: such a different process isn't it I find I, I always found that really fascinating with film that you just like yeah to jump in i mean like i feel like film has a little bit more flexibility because you can you can kind of say as a director no i would like that time to work with the actors yes the the thought of like the the speeds that river city for instance i know that's just like you just need to have done all that prep work in your head and just know. know
2: the only thing is with river city is that the actors are so solid in their roles that they, they, it's kind of like, you kind of just have to make sure that you you understand that moment and where to put the camera because they, they kind of, you know, sort of encyclopedic, oh yeah, this, this comment here it's finishes a conversation that was three weeks back. And, you know, so, so they are, yeah, they're so solid, but yeah, carry on. Well, I was just going to say, because you did a bit of directing on River City. I did. Well. You've done that yeah. just
1: before a glimpse, haven't
2: yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was, I mean, that was, I was so glad I'd done that. So it meant I wasn't starting at nothing with with cameras. But of course it was was kind of in, entirely different. And, um, But part of, I think part of the thing that I had to sort of not get frightened of was it felt quite mysterious, this kind of language of, how you work with a camera and where are you going to put it? And, and I was glad I'd had that sort of River City process where it was demystified and even all the terms are so different and a two shot and a dolly and, you know, you, 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 Oh, I didn't know any of it. So, so that was good. And, And to understand that the DOP is, is really, you know, the lighting is part of their world whereas you might that that wasn't logical to me at all and you know lighting is completely separate department in in theatre and and so that there was yeah big big learning curve I mean I just with a glimpse you know I'm really really proud of it I think I'm sort of you know it's one of the things I'm so glad I made but now I also think I would do it differently and yeah I suppose that is the the role of a first short you know I what amazed me in the edit was the number of times that we were using little shots that weren't was well after I'd said cut you know that we just happened to have a little bit more of either Kirsty or Jordan sitting there with a particular expression on the face and it's like oh we'll grab that and and you know I remember John Mackay saying to me you know be a little bit experimental you know get your take as you want it and then do a wacky one And I didn't don't think I actually really internalized that and and heard it, but now I understand what he means that you do want what you think you want, but you're also going to be reaching for those those other things. And you might be a bit short of of things to kind of piece the story together. And you, you know, you might kind of look back and go, actually, we've only got storytelling. We haven't got any moments. You know, there's something about the momentum and the rhythm of the the piece that you you might want moments where you just hang with the characters and just have a pause, or you know, and and quite often those other moments you you, you might be looking for. But I also, Misha, I don't think we could not talk about the doubling <laughs> because you were in it. You were sitting around the, t- the table. Everybody was piled around my sort of kitchen table, and we were talking about you know because we had two of the of the character of kate played by Kirsty, the older and the younger and she's visiting herself and Kirsty has this kind of very wonderful curly sort of slightly ready hair and we were getting these wigs and we were talking about actresses and whatever and then i can't remember how or whose idea it was maybe it was your idea and there was a kind of moment where we all looked at you <laughs> and we just kind of went huh hang on a minute, she's the right height, she's got the right colour hair, I'm sure we could put a bit of frizz in that and maybe we had the perfect solution sort of sitting in front of us and it was just brilliant also that because you knew the film so well and you'd been on it right from the beginning that you were able to kind of slot in and know exactly what was needed but how was it for you? It
1: was hilarious, I think it was that kind of thing where I think we were like going through the wigs and actually you went, the hair colour kind of like Nisha's and then we all went Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I'm an actor, so you know." <laughs> it's you no know, actually, I don't know if I, I I don't know if I said this to you actually because it it was all like so intense shooting, but it was harder than I imagined it was going to be. Really? Yeah. Because I and I, I I've realized this more like just processing myself like cause I've got this kind of dual career of like I've got an acting career and then I've got my producing career and I, and it's quite interesting because I think that those two don't often get seen together. You quite often yeah. see actors, and writers and actors and directors, but actors and producers do with a And so for me, being in that kind of production role, like organising things, like being there to help people on yeah. set and like just being a kind of useful body, but also having like things to organise. Yeah. But then having to step into like a very different space as Misha as an actor. Although body doubling is again different from acting which yes. was an interesting kind of course yes, you, know? yes. So
2: it was yes you are being sort of back of shoulders and head aren't you most
1: of the time <laughs> and anytime we glimpsed around and saw your face it's like no we can't Get use out. that it so <laughs> <laughs> it's such a bizarre it was it was a really like I actually think like I had a little cry one day on set because I was so overwhelmed because so I was like I'm doing too many things and Claire Claire and Maggie the costume women had put me like just they just tucked me in a room and they were like just take a breath and I was like yeah. okay and it is just because it's so it's so separate and so different and and yeah. exactly that like you're kind of like being moved about you're doing things but you're like still thinking as an actor like trying to remember exactly what Kirsty had done to like yeah. yes
2: yes yes I mean you know we said I didn't work with with animals but I and I did work with children I think to work with children and that doubling sequence in your first film I had kind of no idea what I was what I was you know having to sort of setting myself to achieve um and you until, had to finish
0: the edit online yeah,
2: and then I had to okay. finish the edit online I mean
0: yeah, yeah, Misha yeah, said yeah. it at the start a proper yeah. baptism of fire yeah,
2: yeah. I think I think it was. Yeah. I'm kind of ready to make another one now in kind of calmer
0: circumstances. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. I was going to say, so are you? Oh ready? my How god!
2: Absolutely. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I've just put in a thing for a to write a feature script, which would be wonderful if we got funding for that. But I think in the meantime, I would also like to make another short. I mean, I think I I felt like I learnt so much and i kind of want to have the chance to sort of capitalize on that mm. learning because um you know i think it's in many ways we got away with it and we did use those bits you know that were kind of dotted around and we kind of cobbled it together and i'm really proud of it but but how i would approach it is i think quite maybe quite different I mean I I now kind of understand what the the levers are that you can pull and you can push and you know I want to have a
0: a go at playing with them a bit more I suppose Um. so what have you got coming up next Denise obviously hopefully 101 Dalmatians musical yeah
2: yeah um, what am i doing? Um, i mean I don't think I can say anything that's been announced yet but i'm i'm we're planning the, the autumn season for the for the, the lyceum and I will be directing um in in that and uh, uh i've so i've i've been writing actually through through lockdown um so there's quite a few scripts that are sort of now ready. I wrote a children's novel, oh, <laughs> which I'm just trying to send out and and hopefully get a bit of traction on that. But um, uh, so yeah, so I mean, I'm always one for exploring different things. Just because I've never written a book before, let's why not? <laughs> but theatres are quiet. What am I going to do? I'm going to twiddle my thumbs. But so yeah, so I'm always busy. I'm I'm uh, a little bit kind of manic that way, but but I like to be busy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. Brilliant. So much to look forward to from Zinni Harris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, your, shows, your films, your yes. I'm <laughs> yeah, well, probably about to fall on my bum with
2: some of these, but you never know. You try, you try. <laughs> well,
1: we workshops as well. We'll um, put all the yeah. links to everything that you're up to because I know yeah. that your creative workshops. Have you got any more lined up, or um, so with?
2: with workshops nothing um so I've sort of started a piece of work with the, I did a, a creative wellbeing um talk online and I'm and I'm sort of seeing how that will go I'm, I'm taking I'm starting a pilot project of of mentoring some people and I'm thinking that that's going to turn into group work I'm just doing a bit of training on how to run groups of, of working with wellness um so so that's a kind of little sort of side burner um uh but but really writing and directing I think will be be my main sort of focus over the next year
1: but people can find you on Twitter. Yeah, um, what's, yeah, yeah. Your, what's your handle for Twitter?
2: Justineh. H
1: E-H, love it. We'll stick it in the uh, description. <laughs> E-H. I always, I always point down as well, as if we're like on some YouTube channel, and we'll put the description. <laughs> <laughs> like Ring that, that the bell, Meisha. Ring that bell. And uh, the links are here, here, and here.
0: <laughs> so just to recap, um, a glimpse will be on at the Mental Health Festival. Dates are.
1: This it'll be screening from the 17th to the 23rd of May, and there's also a QA with Zinny on the Saturday, the 22nd of May at 2 pm. So you can book that on Eventbrite as well. We'll put those links in the description box below.
0: They will be in the description. <laughs> <below>. <laughs> Fantastic. And just before we finish, Zinny, yeah. we like to ask our guests what the phrase persistent and nasty means to you. Oh. Persistent and
2: nasty. Well, I mean, I think, you know, some of the things that we've talked about in terms of persistence, isn't it, you know, keeping at it, never giving up. I think that so much of a career in the arts is about being persistent, not going away. But combined with nasty, it's it's not, not sitting back, you know. Saying the difficult stuff, um, not not being polite. Um, uh, let's you know. I think all of kind of art and humanity is about looking at the the, the 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 difficult, hard things to look at, the unpleasant places. You know, what does it mean to be a human? Um, and some of that is 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 we have to be quite unflinching. So um, I think it's a really it's a really good combination of things: persistent and nasty. Yeah. We try. We try. <laughs>
1: are you two related to each other no (laughs) we (laughs) We look so alike i know it's so funny we think it as well i think
2: amazing yeah Yeah. i was like they've got to be sisters yeah amazing did how do you did you meet did you think my
0: god we're twins i actually taught misha (laughs) i uh, taught her at youth theater wow and then, and did you think, well, that's clearly my relative sitting there. I better go really and say. Right. Like, when the First, time I was like, oh, she, she kind of looks like me when I was younger. But yeah, and then, and but the older she's getting, the more she's it's getting, it's getting more going into my lane. <laughs> <laughs>
1: also,
2: we both have red hair at the moment, yeah, so yeah. you know that's yeah. probably helped. But you sound alike as well. I mean, you, you, this there's there's more I'm than and mannerism. I mean, there is really something going on here. Those <laughs> of you that can't see this, it's a pity. You should <laughs> you should look them up.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great i'll take a couple of years off my age you can add a couple of that's, balance it out. Balance out it'll be fabulous <laughs> well, thank you so much
1: zinni it's been no so problem. wonderful to have you on the podcast and to be able to chat to you and thank you for sharing everything no
2: thanks for having me great
1: Absolute treat and thank you lovely listeners for joining us on this wonderful episode and until next time stay nasty, stay nasty. <laughs>